Welcome to today's energy show. It's my pleasure to introduce Steve Daniel, EVP of Sales and Marketing for Solar Flex Rack. Solar Flex Rack makes large-scale commercial and utility-scale racking systems, but these aren't ordinary racking systems. The Flex Rack system works like an accordion. It ships compactly and then expands very quickly to create the racking for PV panels, and that cuts down on the labor that it takes to install these systems. Good morning, Barry. Thanks for having me in. It's nice to see you again. All right, terrific, terrific. Well, tell us a little bit more about the Solar Flex Rack product that, that you guys introduced years ago and seems to be doing really well in the market. Sure, thanks, Barry. So Solar Flex Rack has developed a, a highly differentiated product from the rest of the industry. As you said, we pre-assemble most of the rack in-house in our factories. So what that means to a client is that all the horizontal beams and all the vertical beams that the mo modules actually get mounted on are pre-assembled in the factory under ISO 9000 standards. So we have quality control standards, um, which means that the, the rack Rack shows up pre-assembled, as you said. Um, if it, it is put in front of the where the, it'll be mounted onto the system, it is unfolded and lifted into place. So what that does um, is it saves an, an enormous amount of labor and logistics on the field. Uh, as you know, Barry, it's all about driving down project cost, and so everything we do at SolarFlex Rack has the, the intention of driving down project cost. Um, the installers don't have to go fiddling around for nuts and bolts and fasteners, uh, and the horizontals and the verticals come as one piece, so they don't have to have different stacks of, of material. So it greatly reduces their, their labor, the logistics on the field, uh, and gives them an overall uh, product cost, which is much below what you can do with a standard rack, which is what we call stick-built on the field. And, and how did these racks get embedded into the ground? Are there still foundations? that have to get poured in advance, and how do they screw into the bottom of the rack? Yeah, it's a great question. So um, we, we have services internally where we look at the geotech reports. So um, every site has a geotech report. We have a geotech engineer that works in our staff along with our structural and civil engineers, and they interpret the data from the soils report. Uh, they understand the resistivity of the soil, and they do usually what's called a pull-push te pull -push test where they actually embed the, the piers in the ground before the installation. They have a machine that can actually try to pull the pier out and actually push it front and back so they can understand how much force they need. Then they can take that in information and data and actually make a pier design, which says it has to be a 14-foot pier, X amount of feet in the ground, X amount of feet sticking up. Um, and when we do this, we have to take into account snow load, wind load, resistivity of the soils. Uh, and we provide all those services to our clients. So just, just out of curiosity, so do you do those soil tests before you design the system? Yes, um, most of the developers of the EPCs, uh, they, they usually get a soils analysis performed, and if mm -hmm. not, we can do that for them. We have partners that do that. So we take that information and we look at the design because you really can't stamp your drawing until you understand how much post you need, how much force you need, what size the post has to be. Um, also, the design of the post. Most people use what are called H-beams H or I-beams, uh, W-sections. We use those quite extensively, but sometimes you need to use... Uh, uh, helical pier, or you have to use a ground screw depending on the soils. In the northeast where there's lots of rock like Massachusetts, you need to use ground screws quite often. On top of that, sometimes you just really can't use what's in the ground because you have um, a capped landfill, and in that case we usually use a ballasted system where we put concrete on top, attach the racking to the concrete, and then attach the modules to the racking. So you really can't price the job until you do this analysis and figure out how much those piers are going to be because that's going to be a huge expense for the project. Yes, it is. And um, it's interesting because clients, as you know, always say, well, what does it cost? And the answer is it's a very complicated answer. Um, but then we talk to our clients about the fact that we have all these engineering services that come back and provide a really stable system that you can rely on as, as being the cost that we quote you is the cost that it actually comes out to be at the end of the project. Yeah, so you can kind of do most of that in-house. That's good. H how did the company get its start? Tell me about your parent company? Yeah, so the parent company is a company called Northern States Metals, um, headquartered in Youngstown, Ohio. 
And it was started by a gentleman named Paul Cousin, who is still our founder and um, our chairman of the board, still pretty active in the business. It works very closely with our management team. Um, about 44 years ago, Paul started uh, living in Massachusetts. He started being in the metals business, and that evolved into opening manufacturing in Youngstown, Ohio, because that's where really the most talent was for, for metal products. Um, and he started off mostly with uh, aluminum extrusions, and he was making products from anything from the medical industry to the automotive industry to lighting. Um, and he basically made the inside of the subway cars for the New York City transit system, so he could kind of build anything and uh, develop some really strong um, engineering and manufacturing talent by doing this, by extruding metals, um, providing you know all kinds of different products. So uh, we call that design assist. Somebody may come to us with something like the case for an iPhone and say, we need you to make 20 million of these iPhone cases. We have engineering talent inside that takes that case, looks at it, tries to redesign it to make it better, less expensive, easier to build, and then we come back and recommend a design. So from that, um, what happened to get us into the solar industry is, uh, it's a funny story, about 2008, First Solar was uh, building a system, and they had ordered 860,000 clips from a Chinese company, and it was a comma after 860, and they thought it was 860 clips, so that's what they shipped to the site. Um, the client realized that they had a real big problem. They somehow found Northern States Metals in Youngstown, Ohio. Um, we were asked to, to design this clip and rebuild it, which we did. We delivered them. Um, they loved the clip so much that they, we got brought into the solar industry by doing that. We had done some frames before for some modules, but that was our first entree. Uh, and from then, they asked us to say, you know, you've done such a good job in this. Can you look at doing some racks for us? And that's where the design came out for the unfolding rack. Uh, we took the same engineers who would do a case for an iPhone and said, go find a better way of making a rack. And they were able to do that and came up with a really the first innovation in racking in probably 20 years. Yeah, that's that's a really cool concept. The first time I saw it, it's like, yeah. wow, it's amazing that thing works. But yeah. it's, it's it's strong, it's solid, it's fast, and it cuts down on that, that expensive labor that you have on site. Absolutely. Who, who are most of your customers? I mean, th these are obviously big systems. Are they utilities? Are they the commercial companies? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I'd say that 95% of the people that are buying the power from our projects eventually are utilities. Um, so we focus mostly on utility scale um, um, solar installations. So from a sales perspective and a marketing perspective, we have to sell to uh, the developers, you know, people like in San Francisco or the East Coast who are putting a lot of money to work in the solar industry. Um, we also have to sell to the EPCs, who are the people usually driving the project. They're doing the engineering, procurement, and construction. And we also sell to installers because sometimes the EPC hires an installer to do this, and we have to make sure they're trained on our systems too. So we kind of have three clients, and uh, it's a challenge for the sales force, but um, we figured out a way to kind of keep all of them informed and through the trade shows and through our sales and marketing efforts. Yeah. yeah. So um, what, what other services besides the racking that, that you guys provide? Yeah, it's a great question, and the market has morphed immensely in the last 24 months. Um, the parallel I'll make is, I know you and I were both back in the computer industry in the 80s. I was at DEC, and in 1986, we sold a computer to somebody, and they put it in the back room, and somebody figured out how to make it work. By 87, we were selling a computer and a network, and then by 89, we were selling a computer and network, partnering up with a software company, and actually doing the integration services. Um, the same thing is happening in the, in the utility scale and also commercial scale um, solar industry. So now we're being asked to take everything from possibly even doing a design, a PV cyst analysis and an initial design, all the way through our design of a rack, and then all the way to installing the, in the system itself. So um, we've morphed our model internally. We've hired people that have construction background. We already had the civil, structural, and you know mechanical engineers in place, and now we have the ability to project manage these. So um, our world has changed completely. And um, it's exciting because I have parallels in my career, and a lot of people in the company do also. Um, but um, it's really resonating very well with our clients. They want to look to a racking company to say, Here's, this, here's the, the field, 
can you guys figure out how to build it? And we usually take that up to hanging the modules. Then somebody on the electrical side will come in, usually from the EPC. Hmm. Okay, okay. So th- there's lots of companies that are making racking. It's, it's you know, for, for the most part, it's just long sections of uh, machine steel or aluminum. How do you differentiate your products? And how do you stay ahead of that cu- curve where it's starting to become a commodity? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, we, we utilize a lot of pre-assembly, as we said. So we can show, you know, definitive labor savings to the client. Um, we use the best materials in the world. Um, our engineering is really world-class, and we engage engineers that are design engineers right up front with a client uh, to start the, the, the interaction to see how they the best way to design the system. Should it be a portrait? Should it be in landscape? You know, what should the ground clearance be? You know, how much metal do we have to put into the rack? Um, we do in-house engineering for all that. We have in-house geotech services. Uh, we stamp the drawings in all 50 states, um, and we specifically design for the site in the module type and the electrical background of the system. So um, by doing all these services, it differentiates us, plus having the pre-assembly differentiates us. So just you know, kind of taking it, looking at that computer industry analogy where you, know, you started selling a computer, then you had services and some software, and, and now the big computer companies aren't even selling computers anymore. It's just, you know, it's basically services. <laughs> yes. So you, you guys are making racking, but your parent company is a metals company. Does that give you a big advantage from a pricing standpoint where you're you know, directly related to a company that's basically cranking out the metal itself? Well, most of the racking companies, including ourselves, we don't actually produce the metal. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I believe it gives us an advantage because we have so much experience with that in dealing with aluminum and steel, both. Um, so I think it gives us an advantage to that to that point of view. But you know, everybody else is pretty much procuring from the same metal suppliers, the foundries that, that actually form the metal. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think our experience gives us an advantage because we have a real good familiarity with how to deal with those uh, entities, how to buy from them, and how to implement systems. Yeah, yeah and it's, it's hard to imagine how those companies could actually get into the, the more of the downstream business that you guys are doing in terms of providing all those services. I mean, you know, they'll, yeah. they'll, they'll give you a billet of aluminum or a long ch- you know, so, some metal that you have to machine, but they're not going to do any of those services, and they don't understand the solar industry at all. Right. That's good. So um, you, you've got these, uh, this group of customers, the EPC companies, the developers, uh, the project developers. And so what's the What's the economic value proposition that, that you can give to them? Is it cheaper? Is it faster? Is it more reliable? What are the metrics that they're going to be deciding to, to select you guys? When somebody evaluates a, a purchase of a racking system, um, usually they're just looking at the cost of the materials. So if you talk to a procurement person at an EPC or a developer, that's really what they're concerned with. Um, so we have to talk to the people who are responsible for the overall project because our racking systems will pretty much be on par with everybody else's racking system. We're, we're in that kind of range. Mm-hmm. Of, How many pounds of steel do you have? And they'll do, a, they'll do the math and say that's the right price or it's too expensive. Yeah, and they usually, they're usually looking at it, you know, what's the cost per kilowatt, mm-hmm. or cost, cost, per, cost per megawatt. Um, of course, the advantage we do offer is that we save an awful lot on the, on the, the labor side. And in places like the Northeast, where you have union labor, um, if you can save, you know, 15 to 20 percent on the labor side, it's a significant savings for the project cost. So what we need to do from a perspective of selling and marketing this product, we have to talk to people um, that have project management uh, oversight or maybe the CFO in the company because they want to see that the total cost of the system is much less by using our system. And we can prove that pretty easily. Um, we've even gone to the point of taking uh, hiring a third-party industrial engineering company to do the installation and time study it. And we've got a published report that we give to our clients. And we've also developed um, a spreadsheet matrix where they can put in their labor, su- labor rates, uh, the size of the project, the table size, and it actually spits out a you know cents per watt installation cost. Yeah, and that's a really div- you know it's one of the 
We said, let's put our money where our mouth is and go do this. And most companies will not do that because we're going to be faster than they are. Yeah, that makes So what are we talking about in terms of uh, dollars that you can save? I mean, just give, give me some examples of some big projects and how much labor that you can save. Yeah, I don't have specific numbers I can quote, but usually we can show that uh, the portion that we control, which is, you know, putting the post in the ground, putting in what we call the tilt bracket, which is the diagonal bracket that the, the modules actually hang on in the, in the, the cross beams, the horizontals and the verticals, um, at labor rates of around between 30 and $60 an hour. We're around one penny per watt for that piece of it. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't include building the roads. It doesn't include, you know, putting, you know, pre-assembling. Uh, it, it doesn't include your staging and your logistics. Um, <clears throat> it doesn't include putting fences around the site. But for our piece, we can kind of nail that down pretty well for the client. And the installers really appreciate that because it gives them a planning tool. I've never gone in time studied my competitors' racks because that's very difficult to do, as you would know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, nobody else has come up with a time study that shows that they can compare to us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's very interesting how I do these time studies because we're we've been doing them forever back uh, in the right. Akina days in terms of the the integrated product, and you you know their savings, but it's very hard to put a specific number on it. Yeah, at least on the residential side, you know you save, but it's it, there's so much variability. It's not just like one big project, but on a commercial project, you you know you're there for like three months doing installations, right. and you can really sit there with a stopwatch and say how much time did they take bolting the racking pieces together and let's say that time went away right and, and that's you know yep. as you say it's like a, so it's a penny a watt right um you know on a, on a 50 megawatt project that's some that's a half million dollars yeah it's up as a quite a bit and you know what we found too is that we know the same thing that you know about the rooftop we know that about ground mounts but it was tough to get credit for it you know the, the installers didn't want to maybe put us a lower number out for us versus some other people some of the installers do they just know they've worked with us so much and they will always bid a lower price for installation so that's why we had to take the next step and say let's start to get more control over the installation piece and show that savings to the client mm-hmm. so if we have it under our umbrella we can go and you know talk to a number of installers and come back with a price that makes sense for the client and that's what's really compelling people to work with us so, so um, let's say that you're a developer or an EPC company, you've got a big ground mount coming, coming along. What are some of the key things that you should be keeping in mind when you're selecting a, a mounting and a racking system product? Well, I think the first thing is longevity. Um, you know, we've been in this business for 44 years. Uh, the company's been stable for 44 years. We're not going anyplace. Um, we have the solar side of the business, plus we have the metal side of the business. So if one, one year one of those is down and the other one is up, it's okay for the corporation. We're not going anyplace. Um, so I, I think it's really important that you understand who you're dealing with. There's, there's a lot of people coming into the marketplace that are kind of, you know, they're new entrants and they're offering great pricing, et cetera. But, you know, I think you have to first say, I will own this project as somebody I'm selling it to will own it for 20 to 25 years. You need somebody who can stand behind the product. So that's the first thing. Second thing is we've put a gigawatt of solar in the ground um, by the end of this year, which is quite a bit of solar. You know, we're probably one of the top two or three racking vendors. I don't know the exact numbers, but uh, we've certainly been around for a long time. We have a lot of experience. Um, and then, you know, look at other projects people have done. I think it's really important to look for examples that are similar to what you're putting in. Um, you know, we've done projects anywhere from the Caribbean to, you know, 500 to 1,000 miles north of Toronto. So we've kind of got a wide range of experience, and we've seen kind of everything that can come at you. And uh, really having that background is, is very important to selecting a client, I mean, a, a racking company to work with. Yeah, and, and it sounds like you're focusing mostly in, in North America. Any any plans on going beyond that, Central, South America, overseas? How does that yeah, so we're, we're, we're selling in, into Japan right now. We have a few clients in Japan, and that market is really heating up, as you know. Um, we're also uh, done some uh, some deals in the Caribbean, 
And we're looking into Central and South America. Um, but as you know, you've you got to do a lot of due diligence because you have to know if you need local manufacturing and you certainly need local representation. There's a lot of things that we have to go through. And we've actually commissioned um, some third parties to help us analyze that. And we're going through that process right mm -hmm. now. Um, but the U.S. market is so robust right now, we're, we're feeling pretty good about things here. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's got some good future growth ahead. Well, you guys are headquartered in Youngstown. That, that doesn't exactly <clears> resonate <throat> as a, a, a central point of solar in the country. Um, how does that work as, as a headquarters location, and how are you able to communicate with the customers who are probably you know, on either coast, more like? Well, it's, you know, um, it's an interesting question. So Youngstown is where the first manufacturing plant was set up. Um, we also have manufacturing up in um, Ontario, uh, just north of, uh, of Toronto, up in Markham, uh, Ontario. And we've also set up manufacturing in Phoenix, Arizona. So we wanted to get close to where our clients are. And the northeast, southeast is served by Ohio. The west, of course, is served by Arizona. And then we have the Ontario operation. So um, with everything being virtual these days, and a lot of us are high-tech guys that have come into this industry, it's uh, pretty easy to communicate with them. We do have salespeople spread across the country, and we deploy our engineers also to go meet with clients face-to-face. Uh, -face. So uh, we've got a pretty good coverage model. And um, we found it to be, you know, having three people in California has really helped us a lot for the West Coast. Mm -hmm. Now, now in terms of uh, the actual construction, did, did you hire the teams that do the installations, or is this something the EPC company does? Are you doing the training for those teams? Yeah, so it can take on many different forms. Um, sometimes the EPC does what's called self-perform, and they have their own crews, or they at least have project managers, and they'll go out and hire people locally to do the installation. Um, sometimes the EPC wants us to do the installation, and in that case, we will actually work with the construction company, usually, and we'll hire them to do the installation, and they'll get people locally, and we'll, we'll help project managers manage that. Um, so it takes on a number of different forms. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's uh, not permanent labor. You're doing a big project, you're going to need 100 people for three months, and then after that you need two people and, and they're gone. Yeah, basically. And, um, and, and these companies are set up to do union and non-union jobs. And so um, you know, you've got to find the right partner to work with, and we help in that situation. Sometimes we're asked to, and sometimes they say we're, we're fine. Um, so what I like to have is I have a menu of services I can offer you, and you can avail yourself of any of these you'd like. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, you know, in, ter in terms of the growth of the industry, um, how do you see the growth of those, those large ground mounts? I know there's been a lot that have gone on. Um, there's a lot of CPV systems, you know, humongous systems in the desert. Um, is that going to continue, or is that going to start extending into other parts of the country? Yeah, the, the, the prediction, um, if you go to the Infocast meetings and talk to the pundits per se, um, the large projects are starting to be fewer and farther between. So the hundreds and the 200 megawatts, there's very few of those around right now. And it's based on a number of things. Some of the utilities um, have met their RPC, their RPSs, you know, some of the states have. Um, but there's many more small to medium-sized projects, you know, the 5 megawatts to 50 megawatt projects. And um, the investors are still very interested in these. They look at it more of as a portfolio. So if somebody's trying to put a couple hundred million dollars to work, they need a lot of, you know, solar to go do that. So um, there's a lot of rolling up of these smaller projects into large portfolios. And um, it's wonderful for us because we do, we excel really well in that, uh, that space of the market. So do you, do you see um, a lot of these systems going into some of the you know, not-so-popular states in terms of solar, like in the southeast or, or somewhat yeah. in the Midwest? Yeah, and there's, there's been a transformation. I mean, as you know, I mean, I worked for you eight years ago, and it was 
California, right, mm-hmm. in New Jersey. Yep. And, um, so the new states are coming online. Georgia and North Carolina have really strong programs, and we've got a lot of concentration in that area. So um, we're working very closely with a number of the EPCs and developers down there, doing very well. Minnesota's coming online. Uh, California remains strong. Ontario remains strong. It's kind of ripping down and switching to a different program, but they're still going to be doing a lot of solar. Um, Alberta, Canada is looking at a program. Um, and uh, New York, New Jersey remains strong, as does Massachusetts. So in Texas is coming online again, too. Uh, there's a lot of interest in Texas. Yeah, yeah. I, I just see that there's just, you mentioned California. It's a nice, solid market. But all these other states are going to start coming online. Yep. And, it, and it's because the pricing of the solar keeps coming down. The module pricing is, is right. going to continue to decline. And you're getting faster in terms of the installation. And then you know, the competitive uh, fuels, coal, oil, gas, it's just um, it's becoming problematic. And they're, and they're shutting down nuclear. So they got to figure out how they're going to replace right. those nuclear plants with, with solar. Right. And there, there are people looking at the long-term effect of that and saying, you know, solar's just getting going as far as they're concerned. I mean, it was a bellwether event this year when Xcel Energy said they can actually build solar, you know, on the edge to take care of the peak plant, you know, energy needs on, on warm days in the afternoon for less than they can put a gas-fired peaker plant in place. And Xcel is a very large utility. So when we heard that, we were like, wow, that's, that's a very positive thing for the industry. Yeah. And they're building a lot of solar across, yeah. you know, the whole network. And they've historically not been very uh, friendly towards solar um, no. in Colorado. No, it's been a, it's a big turn of events for yeah. us. Yeah. Well, I, and, and I guess the big issue is your customers are utilities. So the utilities right. are like, solar's great, but we need to put it in place. And, and that works out well for you guys. It doesn't matter who's paying for it. Right. It, it just matters who, you know, how it's going into the ground. Um, any new products coming out on the market that you can talk about? Well, what, the products that we have today, which I haven't mentioned, is we, we have a single access tracker. And um, there's, you know, some of these large developers do 70 to 90 percent of the business is tracker business um, because in places with time of use metering like California, they'll pay extra for the energy between 12 and 6 and you know, p.m. on the hot days in the summer. So we've come up with this product. Um, it's, called, it's a distributed tracker. It's not like a center drive tracker like an ATI or some of the, the bigger companies. Um, which Those are very well fit for very flat terrain, you know, perfectly square terrain. They, they, they're a fantastic solution for that. Um, but we're running out of those spaces, as you know. I mean, there's only so much of that available that's near transmission lines. So um, a lot of people are looking at um, pieces of land that are not quite flat. They may have rivers going through them. They may have a rock outcropping or a kind of a funny border. And because this is a distributed tracker, the tables are only 80 feet long, and they have their own actuator to control the tracker. So you can go on to land, which is not completely flat. We can deal with a lot more uh, variation in the terrain. And we can put a system in that's that's very effective and, and, and delivers an awful lot of power, just as a, a center drive track would be, but it's distributed. We're making a lot of traction with the tracker, no pun intended. And um, we've been able to go on some sites that other people couldn't install on and, and be very successful. Yeah, and what are the size of these sites that you're looking at? Yeah, I mean, they could be as low as uh, half a megawatt and as high as, you know, 20 megawatts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're, we're involved in a number of different projects right now. We've got a few installations uh, going under underway right now, and um, the product is very well received. The nice thing, too, is if, if one of the motors happens to have a problem, um, you only lose about 10 to 15 kilowatts on that one table, whereas if you have a center drive motor, have a problem, you lose 350 kilowatts. Yeah. So yeah. It's, a, it's a distributed approach, just like distributed computing was back yeah, it's all, it's all evolving. So, yeah. so just you know, we're we're about to wrap up, but it's just curious how how did you get into the solar industry? What got you interested going from the computer industry to solar? Well, um, you're you're one of the reasons, Barry. And I'll, I'll tell this. It's a long story, but I'll tell it. Um, so back in my 
days at UMass, um, got interested in solar, uh, watched Barry uh, really evolve the industry in, in California, got interested. I had always been interested in it. So I actually left high tech, went into solar, and I've been here for eight years now. And I've, it's been a great move for me. Um, so I you know, remember how we, we met in the beginning, and I really appreciate you getting me into the industry and training me. And uh, it's been a great move for me. Yeah, that's, that's good. So um, what's the website for Solar Flex Rack? Uh, solarflexrack.com. Okay. How do you spell it? Uh, S-O-L-A-R-F-L-E-X-R-A-C-K.com. And um, we have contact information. There's a way to get in touch with us via the website. And um, feel free to contact us. We'd love to talk to you. That's perfect. Okay. Well, that's all the time we've got on this week's Energy Show. Thanks, Steve. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. If you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamonsolar.com and listen to the podcasts. (laughs) 